0: You all do know that you sound like people who've been saved this morning, don't you? Amen. Amen. I just had a moment off on the side. I was worshiping. The song was building. And my hand was up and all of a sudden it shot up the same time Seth's hand went up. And I was like, I'm leading the choir. I'm leading the choir. Man, I was having a moment right there. I was pretty excited about that. So anyway, we are excited that you are with us this morning. We have four weeks that we have been focused on marriage out of Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if today is your first week with us, or maybe if you've missed one or so of those, I want to encourage you, go back to our website, sherwoodbaptist.net, check it out on our YouTube channel, check it out on any of our podcasting platforms. Um, This is not one of those series where you can hear part and just guess at the rest. This is one that you need to hear each of them. And quite honestly, it's really good to hear them in order because each one is building on the truths of the one before it. So, on a personal note, uh, last few weeks have been both challenging as well as exciting, Uh, challenging in the sense that when you teach on harder topics, topics that are uh, not necessarily in vogue within culture, it comes with its own set of issues. Exciting in the sense that I am hearing back from more and more people who are acting on the truths of God's word and it is changing their marriages right now. And that's exciting. That, that's my prayer in this series. It's not that we just go through and we talk about marriage, but rather that we live out the truths in our marriages so that it transforms not only our family, but also the example that's being set before our kids and our grandkids. So with that being said, my heart in this entire series is to let people know God has a plan for marriage and his plan is not boring. It is not antiquated. It is not something that you just have to endure. His plan is joyful. His plan brings contentment and fulfillment and purpose and passion and all of the things that we want in our marriages. So far, we have seen God's design for marriage, a common substitute for that design. We've seen the primary role of the husband and the primary role of the wife. We've also seen the greatest needs of the husband. We have seen God's instructions for wives, an overview of God's instructions for husbands, and how context helps us to understand God's intentions on both. We've discussed how marriage is a microcosm of Christ in the church. We've talked about common mistakes that couples make when they're trying to fix their marriages. We've talked about the importance of returning to God and His Word as our source and our authority and everything. We've talked about the fact that only God can love your spouse with agape love, the type of love that generates from the heart and character of God. We've talked about the necessity of both the husband and the wife submitting to God and abiding in Christ and obeying God's promptings along the way. And we've also talked last week about how intimacy is destroyed in an environment of expectation. So today, we tackle God's instructions for husbands. Now, some of you may disagree with the statement I'm about to make, and that's okay. If you choose to be wrong on a Sunday morning, that's completely up to you. (laughs) But what I'm sharing comes from the general principles of God's design in the home. And it also comes from experience and perspective of 23 years of being a pastor and a counselor. So here's, here's what I've seen. The turning point for stronger marriages is not necessarily when a couple starts counseling. Not necessarily when they get the latest book on marriage. Not necessarily when they join a small group. All of those things are good. All of those things have a place. And I'm going to encourage people continue to allow God to lead you in each of those areas. The turning point that I've seen in stronger marriages is when God gets the heart of the husband. When God gets his heart. It's almost always a downhill race from there. So this morning, we're talking about five aspects of that husband's heart, how it is that his heart, his love for his wife is to be mirrored in Christ's love and Christ's heart for the church. Today, I'm making a prediction. I'm making the prediction today is going to be a game changer for a lot of marriages. I don't say that presumptuously, I say that with conviction because of what we get into. According to my Bible, God's word is alive and it's active. It does not return void. And God desires to show himself strong on behalf of those willing to submit and to follow him. I believe there's going to be some game-changing moments that happen today. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5 will be in 25 through 33. I am speaking this morning on the subject of God's instructions for husbands. So I'm not going to read the entire text in advance. Rather, I want you to hold that open, hold your place there, and as we get to that, I'm going to reference the verses. We'll read it as we work our way through. So that being said, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are praying this morning that you would meet with us in such a personal and unique way. Take each of these pieces of your word the truths that are contained in it and lord like a laser would you drop it into the hearts of each person in this room god we're praying that you would do something so beautiful so unique within marriage that we walk away saying it's only you it's only you in jesus name amen first part of what you're going to find in verse 25 is simply this husbands love your wives Husbands, love your wives. You will notice that love is a verb in that statement, and verbs signify action. Love always translates into action. So I want us to build for just a moment. Now this connection over the next probably 45 seconds can unlock how we look at this text for the rest of your life. But we got to follow the progression. Verse 21, as I've already talked about in previous weeks, is essential to understanding God's perspective on marriage. We're told in that text, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, not only is that a command that is given to both men and women, and not only is that a command that should govern all human relationships, but it is one that is inextricably linked into marriage itself. If you pay really close attention, look down at verse 22 for just a moment. You'll notice in verse 22 that the words be subject are in italics. What that means is it has been added for the flow of reading. It has been added to help a person understand what the writer is saying. So the actual verb itself is a carryover from verse 21. That is the the subject be or the, the verb is be subject. So the verb submit is a participle in Greek. And what that means is it is linking to a preceding verb. In this case, it is multiple participles in a row that are all linked back to a verb in verse number 18. So now look back in verse number 18. The command is be filled with the spirits. The statements that follow describe what a spirit-filled life looks like. Does that make sense? Okay, so now look at what it says in verse 19. The spirit-filled life is one that is speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Verse 19 as well, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks to God and Father for everything. Verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So here's my point. God's instructions for marriage do not begin in verse 22. They are linked back to be filled with the Spirit in verse number 18. Now, what I'm about to say is not intended to make people upset, but I tend to do that sometimes. I simply want you to get the flow of what this text is saying. Here's my point. The only way that we can experience everything God desires for marriage is for both the husband and the wife to be filled with the Spirit of God. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that a non-Christian couple cannot have a loving marriage. I'm not saying a non-Christian couple cannot even have a good marriage. What I am saying is that there are certain parts of marriage that are only unlocked for those who are filled with the Spirit of God. And this text gives multiple examples of that, and we've gone through these already. Submission is not a natural sought-after trait, and yet it is crucial in Christian marriage. Agape love is impossible in our own strength, and yet it is important in Christian marriage. How can a husband love his wife as Christ loved the church if he does not know Christ and if he's not a part of the church? How can the wife submit herself to her own husband as unto the Lord if she does not yet know Jesus as Lord of her life? You see what I'm saying? That is, there's certain parts of this that unless a person is filled with the Spirit of God, they do not have the framework to understand it, nor the empowerment and the enablement of the Holy Spirit in order to live it out in their life. This flows out of a Spirit-filled life. And that's a key thought for this morning. Christian marriage flows out of a spirit-filled life. So today we're going to see five aspects of Jesus' relationship with the church that are to be mirrored in a husband's love for his wife. If somebody were to say, what does it look like for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? We're about to give five tangible, real-life examples from the text in order to help people see that. The first of these is going to be very fast because we've already covered it multiple times in previous weeks. Here it is very quickly. Jesus loved the church. Verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, we're only touching on this for just a moment because we've been covering it over multiple weeks. My main focus here this morning is to make sure people understand one more time this is agape love. This is perfect love, sacrificial love, unconditional love. This is love that only God can generate. Now, because of the fact that a believer has been filled with the Spirit of God, because of the fact that a believer has the nature of Christ, God can live that type of love through that person. That's what this is about. So the husband's part is to abide in Christ and obey the promptings as God loves his wife through him. Here's our second point. Jesus sacrificed for the church. Verse 25 also says, and gave himself up for her. The full measure of Christ's love for the church is seen in his willingness to sacrifice everything for our sake. He gave himself for us. There's a story in Greek history of a general's wife who was accused of treachery and condemned to die. When her husband found out the news, he ran into King Cyrus's courts and he threw himself before the king and he begged for his wife's life and he begged to be the replacement and to die on her behalf. According to historians, King Cyrus was an emotional, sentimental man. And he said, love like this must not be spoiled by death. And he released the wife to the husband and he dropped all charges. As they walked away, the husband said to the wife, did you notice how kindly the king looked on us as he gave us the pardon? To which his wife replied, I had no eyes for the king. I saw only the man willing to die in my place. That's agape love. That's I'll give everything for the other person. That's what we saw modeled in Christ. Jesus was mocked ridiculed rejected beaten and crucified for us according to philippians 2 he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross not only was jesus willing to sacrifice everything for us but his willingness was not based on our merit or the promise of love being returned this is, this is literally sacrifice without strings. This is love without demands. He simply loved us and gave everything for us. Can the husband love his wife like that? Not in his own strength. That's why we keep going back and saying, it has to be God doing it through us. Remember what I keep saying. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, including loving your spouse, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Everything that he desires to do. Number three, Jesus led the church towards holiness. Jesus led the church towards holiness. Verse 26, it says, so that he might sanctify her. The word sanctify, it means set apart Or make holy. A holy person is an individual who is set apart wholly unto God. Jesus made the statement at one point a man cannot serve two masters. He, He doesn't want the church to be split between the cares of the world and the lust of the flesh and the deceitful riches of life and Him. He wants us to be wholly His, completely His, set apart completely for Him. Now we have to remember as we get into this, because This is where the emails start showing up in my inbox. But I I want you to hear clearly. The context is holiness. The context is sanctification set aside, set apart. And the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Okay, so how does the husband apply this? If the wife is a believer, the husband is to love her towards holiness. Holiness. If the wife is an unbeliever, the husband is to love her towards Christ. The spiritual nature of the wife, her growth in Christ needs to be a key priority for the Christian husband. Now there's a number of ways that this is lived out. I'm going to give several practical suggestions. Uh, One of these would be ensure that your wife has time with God in his word. Okay, here's how that works out practically. When you're married, when there's kids going all over the place, there's crazy schedules, there's homework that needs to be done, there's clothes that need to be washed, there's dishes that need to be done, all of those different types of things. Here's how the husband loves his wife well. He makes sure that with everything happening in life, she still has time, that she is with God by herself. That means if you need to step in and do some dishes, if you need to step in and do some laundry, you need to step in and say, you go take some time to be alone with God. I got the kids. We'll go over here. It is the responsibility of the husband to make sure his wife has time to be with God. Thank you for six of you all agreeing with that. That, (laughs) Listen, that was the easy one. That's the easy one in this list so here's another one encourage your wife to engage in opportunities for spiritual growth it might be a ladies retreat that's coming up encourage her to be a part of it it might be that you're encouraging her attend bible studies make sure she has deep connection with other believers in the church the reason for this is because there is a part of our growth in christ that only happens in community with other believers guys I'm going to tell you another, this is maybe a selfish reason, but I'm going to tell you another reason for this. There are things that Christian wives can share with each other that you bring that up, you got you a fight on your hands. You you want to encourage your wife to be a part of it. This is a part of older women discipling younger women. This is a part of those who are further in the race coming back and saying, this is what God taught me at that point. This is an important part of her growth in Christ. Here's the next one. Provide your wife with resources for spiritual growth. This might be books or sermons or resources, but oh, please hear me on this next part. Please hear me. Don't be weird. (laughs) Do not come home with a stack of books and say, honey, I got your reading assignment for next week. Don't do that. I've said multiple times over the years, the quota for Christian weirdness has already been met. Don't add to that. All I'm saying here is if God has used something to bless you, make sure you share that with your wife. If there's been a message that he used to challenge you, share it with your wife. And wives, it's also good. If there's something that God used in your life, share it with your husband. It's a way for the husband and the wife to be journeying together where there's common themes. Which, by the way, is a fantastic way to keep ongoing conversation in your marriage. When you say, here's what God's teaching me in the Word. I just listen to this. Here's a book I was reading. This is a statement that I've been sitting with for a while. What happens is you go on the journey together. So important. Now, those were the encouraging ones. I've got a couple more here that might not feel as encouraging. But I want to emphasize again, we're talking about holiness. So here's the next one. Lovingly. Address your wife if sin persists. I am not saying be the Holy Spirit for her. I am not saying go look for problems. I am not saying jump on every issue or every mistake. That is unloving, that is stifling, and quite honestly, that's annoying. But if lingering sin keeps on, Love your wife towards freedom in Christ. A part of that is conversation. Now, this concept goes both ways. Remember, the wife is the helpmate of the husband. She's going to see things in the husband's life that maybe others are not going to see. It is not loving to know that sin is persisting and yet sit quietly and just hope it goes away. Sin does not go away because it's been unchecked. It gets bigger, it gets stronger, it gets deeper, and the devastation gets bigger and bigger over time. Addressing sin rarely makes people happy in the moment. But when holiness is pursued, happiness will follow. Next one there. Submit good intentions to God as he conforms your wife. Now, this one takes just a moment to clarify. It is possible for both men and women, husbands and wives, sometimes even best friends, it's possible sometimes to interfere in God's sanctifying work in that individual's life. Let's ask you a couple of questions. Did Jesus remove his church from all problems and pain? Did Jesus step in and stop the repercussions for bad decisions that had already been made? No. So here's what happens. God promises to be with us, and he promises to walk through good and bad, ups and downs, all of those different pieces. But often God's path to refine our character requires us to face the repercussions of unwise choices that can be painful and that can be uncomfortable and because it's our spouse going through it we want to jump in and remove the pain and discomfort as quickly as we can because we love our spouse and if somebody is addressing things and we feel like there's an attack We want to stop it quickly because that feels like the most loving thing. It's good to walk with your spouse and say, God, help me to have wisdom in this moment. That I don't get in the way of a lesson that you might be teaching, but rather I am submitted to what your spirit is doing in this moment. Jesus leads his people towards holiness, holiness comes at a price. Holiness is not found on the path of selfishness, sin, or spiritual apathy. It is developed in repentance and surrender as God allows certain things to happen in our lives for our good and for his glory. So where is the line between loving support and unhealthy enablement? Where's the line between what do you address, where do you wait, is this something that I should bring up, Versus I need to step in and say something. Where's that line? How, how do you know when to step in? You're not going to like this answer. You don't. But God does. Remember where we started at this. Spirit-filled life. Are you trying to tell me that the Holy Spirit of God, who is indwelling a believer, cannot prompt in work in your spouse's life and cannot prompt you as to when to speak and when to remain silent when to step in when to hold back are you telling me our god can't do that i don't believe it this is this is not a regimented program this is not check 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 done this is god i submit to you in this moment fill me with grace and love help me to walk in wisdom god what do i need to address if it's silent, I'm just going to take it. I need to wait here. If he brings something up, again, lovingly because it's persisting, not as the first time, not as, like, like if, it's, if you're talking months and months of the same thing, God, how do I address it now? When do I address it now? That's hard. But remember the entire context. It's about holiness If the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, there's going to be some difficult moments along the way. But when it's two spirit-filled believers saying, I want God's best, on the other side, it's always good. Here's the next one. Jesus washed the church in the word. Verse number 26. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, In ancient Greece, a bride-to-be was taken to a river and ceremonially cleansed from every defilement of her past life. Whatever her life had been before marriage, it was now symbolically purified. When she entered into marriage, she was considered to be without any moral or social blemish because her past had been washed away. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of the sins. By the blood of Christ, our sins have been washed away. Our sin, past, present, and future, has been washed away. When we entered relationship with Christ, he forgave our sin debt. He wiped the slate clean. So Christians stand before God. If you're a believer, if you're saved, if you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you, A believer stands before god holy and forgiven and complete in christ that is your position before god but from now until you see jesus face to face he is constantly going to be washing you with the water of the word not so that you are saved but so that you enjoy the depth of intimacy in that relationship with him so how does that live out in a practical marriage that means husbands, you need to be in the Word and you need to live as an example of what it looks like for the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to challenge and to wash your character constantly and encourage your wife to be in the Word as well. That's, it's simple, but it's something that only God can do. Here's the next one. Jesus presents the church as a radiant bride. When Jesus enters our life, he does not leave things the way he found it. He works in our mind, he works in our heart, he works in our character, our relationships, our emotions, our outlook, our perspective. He he works on everything. He redeems us completely to present us fully. His desire is not to suppress us. His desire is to reveal the person you and I were intended to be. Now, this is a beautiful part of what's happening in this section of Scripture as husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. When the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, he's not trying to force her to become something he wants her to be. He's leading her to become everything God made her to be he he wants her to develop her full potential under god and by so doing she becomes more completely her in other words god had a beautiful design for each individual and that is not to be pressed into a man-made standard but rather it is to allow the spirit of god in order to work out what he is now placed in how does that happen how does a husband help in this in the in this section look at verses 28 and 29 so husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ also does the church to to nourish a wife is to provide for her needs to cherish her is to use tender love and affection, providing warmth and comfort and protection and security. If the husband follows those instructions, he will give the wife what she needs most in the marriage. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about God's instructions for wives, and I shared at that time the greatest needs of the husband in marriage are to have the respect as well as the the, um, submission of his wife, that those two pieces go hand-in-hand together. The wife's greatest needs in marriage are to be completely loved and feel absolutely secure in that relationship. Now let's package all of this back together. When a husband loves his wife, as Christ loved the church, he is providing unconditional, perfect, sacrificial love. He gives up anything to make sure for his wife's well-being. He leads her and the family as the spiritual head of the home. It doesn't mean he's going to have all the answers, but it does mean he will lead the way towards the answers. His heart is bent towards holiness, and he will not introduce anything that would defile her. He ensures that she is growing spiritually, able to spend time with God, and being washed in the water of the word. He also nourishes and cherishes her, providing warmth and comfort and protection and security. He uses his headship as as over the home, not in order to make her something he wants her to be, but rather so that she becomes more fully who God created her to be. If husbands love their wives like that, it will eliminate the vast majority of problems that are happening in the home. Wives... Your husband has a massive responsibility before him. Do you know what he needs? A helpmate to become all that God made him to be and to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, your wives have a huge responsibility before God. Everything in society is saying submission is weakness. They need a godly, loving, gracious husband that they can follow. The best thing that the husband and the wife can do for their marriage is to stay submitted to God, continue to abide in Christ, faithfully obey the promptings of the Spirit, and constantly pray for your spouse. You don't ever give up. You're constantly praying for your spouse. Not only will that help your marriage, not only will that best reflect glory back to God, but I'm going to give you another reason this is so crucial. That will provide the example that your kids will now take into their marriage. There's a lot of books that teach marriage. But listen, their default position will be what they saw in their home. Some of you are like first generation believers. You look back in your family history and you were like first in this. You look back and you see brokenness and you see dysfunction and you see a lineage of families trying to hold it together. Did you know God can use you and your example in order to set a new legacy for the future? You don't have to resign yourself and say, this is just how it's always been. By God's grace, it doesn't have to be. But this is going to require, listen, this is going to require men to be godly men. You have to lead in the strength and the enablement of Christ. This is going to call women to be godly women. Not worrying about everything else in the world, but saying, ultimately, my allegiance is to my Heavenly Father. Ultimately, I've got my children that I'm setting an example for. The world is watching. Our marriage is a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need couples, Christian couples, who will say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and our house, we're going to break the chain that has happened in our family. Listen, God can do it he can do it but we have to say God I'm not perfect and if it's up to me I'm gonna mess it up but every day you get on your knees and you say God by your grace would you love my spouse through me by your grace would you help me to the, be the example my kids need to see hey, a willing believer is always going to meet a willing Savior God will meet you in that moment and when that change begins to happen here's what you do you just keep saying it's God it's God It's not me. I can show you every time I mess this thing up. It's God. If there's anything to praise about in my marriage, it's God. If there's an example being set, it's God. If the legacy's gonna change, it's God. And here's what happens when people begin to do that. Here's what they'll start saying because they're hurting in their marriages. Here's what they'll say. Tell me what he did. Can I tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you see how it flows together? Everything we've talked about, Flows out of a spirit filled life. In other words, for this to happen, it first needs to be that a person has come to a place in their life that they know Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's where it all starts. So for some of you today, you might say, I'm not even there. Did you know that can change today too? Here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty is you and I have been created for a relationship with God. That's why you're here. The Bible tells us that our sin separated us from that relationship. The Bible tells us there was nothing that we could do on our own to make things right. Our good works, not enough. Religion, not enough. Morality, not enough. But the Bible tells us that Jesus did what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And this beautiful gift, he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who will say, God, you're right and I was wrong. I turned from me and I turned to you. And they place faith in what Jesus has done. When that happens the Spirit of the living God comes to indwell them. He washes them. He he cleanses them. He he wipes the sin debt out. And now there is enablement to live the life that God's called you to live. Do you know Jesus? Has he made a difference in your life? See, here's how we're going to end the service. In just a few moments, we're going to have pastors at the end of the aisles We're going to be singing a final song of invitation. And in this time, I'm going to encourage people, respond as the Spirit of God prompts you. It might be that you need to know for sure, without a doubt, that you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's the case, come forward. Talk to one of these pastors. Don't walk away from this room today not knowing that. It might be that there's couples that are saying, we've got work to do we've got a family that we're trying to lead in the right direction and maybe it's couples that simply want to come and have a time of prayer it might be that you want to stay right where you're at have a time of prayer however the spirit of god is leading you i'm going to encourage you respond to him let's pray heavenly father in the name of jesus we recognize that apart from you we can do nothing God, we also recognize that your plans are so much better than our plans. And God, left to ourselves, we're going to make a lot of bad decisions that are going to hurt a legacy instead of build it. So God, I'm praying today that, Lord, you would free your followers to experience the depths of joy, the depths of purpose that you desire. God, I'm praying today that there will be people, not only in the room, but those watching online, that today they'll recognize they need to know you as Lord and Savior. And God, today, there'll be people who come to know you. Lord, I'm praying today that you would transform marriages for your sake and glory. God, may men be godly men. May women be godly women. And Lord, may we chase after your design. God will praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing, respond as God prompts you.